0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Franklin Road Baptist Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. This podcast consists of the preaching and teaching from the pulpit of Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Our prayer is that what you hear from this podcast will bless and encourage your Christian life as you seek to follow him. We strongly believe there is no substitute for being a part of a thriving local church. If you're in the Murfreesboro area, we would love to have you join us any Sunday or Wednesday. But if you are enjoying this preaching from somewhere else, we want to encourage you to find a Bible preaching church where you can grow and enjoy the fellowship of other Christians. If you're listening to this podcast and have never accepted Christ as your Savior, we would love nothing more than to help show you how you can have your eternity settled and begin your relationship with God. Feel free to visit us in person or online at frbc.com for more information. Now let's see what God has for us from His Word today mother and daughter singing there. Uh, Miss Kim and her daughter Michelle, thank you for that good song and amazing love. You know, sometimes you just ought to stop and just meditate some on the love of God, how deep it is, how merciful and full of grace it is. And uh, thank you for taking us to that spot tonight. Let's take our Bibles and turn us to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I think I may have on your notes 2 Corinthians well, I just looked here, and if I put that down as 1 Corinthians, so if it shows up 2 Corinthians, sometimes my, I, no one here has brain fog. I know that because it doesn't go with COVID. So, um, But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're in a series right now entitled Unmovable, kind of um, going back a little bit to our theme of the year. And the idea this year is we be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, as your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so we're revisiting that somewhat. And um, I really want you to, I just want you to stick, stick it out. If you're looking for the new normal, forget it. I don't know if we're ever going to see that again or, or anything's going to be normal because the world is changing quickly uh, before us. And, but Christians are to be the stable ones, or to be unmovable. So the idea behind this particular study of 1 Corinthians uh, we, we have reviewed a lot of the problems we'll be looking at in our introduction, but is the consideration or a second title is our Christian conduct in a carnal world. And so uh, let's stand together, please, reading God's word. We're going to read the entire chapter. I'll read fast, but I want you to pay attention because the idea throughout is spirituality, spirituality. And so uh, Verse number two, or verse number one, chapter two. And I, brethren, he's talking to the brethren at Corinth. When I came unto you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit And power and of power. If you have a habit of marking your Bibles, I want you to mark the word declaring in verse number one, the word determined in verse number two, and verse four, the word demonstration that outlines, the Bible outlines itself here tonight. And here's why he said he did that that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He had been addressing. The fact that you don't follow men, you follow Christ. And so he is trying to live that as he witnesses these people. Albeit, Now he changes gears in verse 6. We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet that word means mature, yet not the wisdom of this world nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him. When you see a verse in all capital letters like that, most of your Bibles do that. It is usually a quote from another place in the Bible, usually the Old Testament. That is Isaiah 64, 4, verse 10. But God hath revealed them to us by his spirit. He just said, there's a lot of things your eye hasn't seen, your ear hasn't heard, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us. Of God, Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. I just read that, didn't I? Which things we also speak, verse 13, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can we know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things." Yet he himself is judged of no man, for who hath hath known the mind of the Lord, that we may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. I want to draw your attention to verse number 14, our text verse. Let's read that out loud together. Verse 14, ready? But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Let's read that last sentence of verse 16, the last sentence of the chapter. Ready? But we have the mind of Christ. God does not leave us in the dark. In fact, we should know more than anybody else around us if we're born again. Not so we'd be puffed up, but God gives us the information we need to live in life. I'm going to speak on this subject for just a while tonight. Put on your spiritual thinking cap. Put on your spiritual thinking cap. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's any time in our history that we need to do that, it is now. Father, bless your word. Please help me as I teach it tonight. Keep us on track. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. What you are as a person, as an individual, what you are right now is based upon what you think or what you've allowed to influence your mind. In other words, you are what you think. Solomon said it like this in Proverbs 23, 7, who is the wisest man that ever lived apart from Christ. He said, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So those things that a man thinks or dwells on or studies, that is the sum and total of the person by and large that you'll be. Jesus put it like this in Luke 12, 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For that which you treasure up, not just money, but those things that you store up in your heart, in your mind, that's where your heart's gonna be. When I was a kid growing up, if the teacher maybe presented a question that there was an obvious answer or a or a difficult question, but they wanted you to really, really get it, sometimes they say, Now put on your thinking caps. Put on your thinking caps. How many ever heard that phrase? What they're saying is, get serious about this, focus on this, and think logically and truthfully. That's what the idea means. That's what we're going to try to do tonight because that's what the apostle was trying to do with this church at Corinth. They're very worldly. This chapter is right where we're living at today. If you'll stick with me, especially to the conclusion. If you're right all the way through me, get the points with me. I want to especially accent the conclusion because I think this is right where we're living We've got to get this figured out quickly. That is that we're living in the generation of the Corinthians. Or similar to the Corinthians. Which we gave the ideas about that in our introduction. Christians have lost their way of thinking. In a spiritual and biblical fashion. You see you just don't just make decisions about what you believe based on how you feel. We should be making spiritual decisions based On what the Bible says and how the Holy Spirit of God guides us and actually a Christian is forbidden to think like the world we're forbidden to love the world and we're forbidden to think like the world and you'll see that tonight more about that later what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of rush through my outline here you'll say rush through but I've got six points so I'm going to zip through it pretty quick because I want to get to conclusion because that's where the application is all right so I want to outline this 16 verses tonight. Number one, as we consider putting on our spiritual thinking caps, I want you to understand that Paul walked in this town to preach the gospel. And here's what he said about that. Number one, he makes a humble declaration in verses 1, 3, and 4. A humble declaration. He says, "...when I came to you," he said, "...it wasn't with excellency of speech or wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God." He said, that's all I did. I didn't use any superiority. He says in verse 3, he said, I was in weakness and fear and trembling. In verse 4, he said, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Now, so when Paul walked into Corinth, he walked in there a natural man and a spiritual man, just like all of us. And he he talks about the natural man, the spiritual man, old man, new man. He talks about meat of the word and milk of the word throughout these books. But when he walked in there... He understand he had a new audience that had no idea of anything spiritually unless it was an idol or some type of witchcraft, worship. Unlike Athens, Corinthians was different. They knew nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in his own right, Paul, you need to know, although he didn't utilize any of this oratory skill, he was quite the orator and he had the credentials to back it up. I want you to do a quick little study with me. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Because I don't want to have to reject, re- review this uh, during this particular study. But in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, number 12, verses 1 through 4. I want to show you uh, something that happened to Paul. It didn't happen to any, any of the other apostles. He was caught up in the third heaven. You see, Paul did not get a chance to walk and talk with Jesus Christ like, like Peter and John the rest of them. So he had to get caught up pretty quick. So he gets caught up in the third, third heaven. Verse number 1 of Second 2 Corinthians 12. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up, in t- caught up to the third heaven. I knew such a man, whether in the body, out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was caught up. Uh, into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. He said, I'm not going to glory in that. <laughs> so here's a guy that got caught up in the paradise, heard directly from the throne of heaven. Then he had to come back down and be inspiration, get that all worked down so we could understand it because there are some things he saw out there that even God wouldn't let him utter, not because they were top secret, but because no one would ever believe it. That's how wonderful heaven's going to be. So you talk about a guy that could tell you something, this guy could tell you something. I want to show you one more place. Look over Philippians chapter number 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, I'm turning with you here. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 4. He defends his apostleship. Here's what he says. Philippians 3 verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more... Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, and touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteous, righteousness which is in the law. Watch this out blameless. Well, things were gained to me, those things that counted for loss for Christ. I'm just saying, this guy had all the credentials. You're talking about Apollos being a great orator. I would say <coughs> that he probably wouldn't hold a candle of the Apostle Paul, but Paul chose to avail that when he came to Corinth. And as he got there, "...that the city, he chose not to use excellency or superiority of speech or enticing words. He just shared the gospel, pure and simple, to this pagan and perverted city." You're wondering, did that work? Verse 3 indicates that uh, leaving Athens, uh, he was spiritually exhausted. And I thought about that because Paul normally doesn't show his weakness, but he appears to do so here. So I went back and read this in Acts chapter 18. And while he was in Athens, he was dealing, if you remember, we've studied this on Sunday night, he was dealing with the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Stoic means just that. Stuffy, snooty, smart people that sit around and rub their beards all the time, looking down their nose at you thinking you don't have a clue what you're talking about. The apostle rode in there to the Athens and gave the gospel in Mars Hill he went to great lengths in his preaching to expose their heresy and to exalt Christ and they just kind of rubbed their chins and they said in, in Acts 17 I meant to say in Acts 17 that we'll hear thee again on this matter and they were clueless they didn't care It was just another God he was talking about so as he left Athens and headed for Corinth he had very few converts there and so he speaks of weakness and fear and trembling maybe he thought that he'd lost his edge maybe he thought that God was finished with him but we all know that when he got to Corinth as you read about there in Acts Acts 18 uh, God showed up mightily and a very large church was started there and that's the church he's writing here let me just say this by way of uh, application you do not have to be an orator to share the gospel if you don't get anything else out of this message, don't think that you've got to know everything about prophecy and everything about the Holy Spirit of God and how you are. You don't have to know uh, any of that stuff to share the gospel. Just share the death, burial, and resurrection. Tell them how you got saved, how you prayed and received Christ. Just the, just the unvarnished gospel is enough. And that's what Paul did as he went into this town. The gospel message in its rawest form speaks very clearly and very powerfully for itself. Men call the gospel a bunch of foolishness, but when it is shared in the power of the Holy Spirit, people get saved and lives are changed. That's what happened in Corinth. So he said, when I came to you, he said, I didn't didn't go the route that I went in Athens. You were pagans. Perversion was throughout the city. It It was an unlawful city. You'd be afraid to sleep on the streets at night. I just came in and gave you the gospel. Number two, we see his hidden determination. Verse two, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, ladies and gentlemen, he knew a whole lot more than that. we are going to see that in just a minute. And we're going to catch that in this book. When it came to reaching a city for Christ, it was all about the gospel. And, Ladies and gentlemen, let's not miss it as a church. There is a lot going on in the world. There's a lot I I, I spew out from this pulpit here about how we handle those things. And I get all that. But we cannot let all those things wrap us up and miss giving out the pure gospel to the people that need to hear it. We see a hidden determination here in verse number 2. So Paul determined when he preached to these people that he would, he would just veil all that spiritual knowledge. He did not use enticing words of man's wisdom. He didn't fall back on his own testimony of his conversion, which, by the way, was very powerful. Not that this would be wrong. It's just not how God was leading him. So what did he do? He preached the same old message, how Jesus died on the cross, him crucified. Boy, when he mentioned that cross, some people had kind of, had never heard anything like that before. And as he talked about the cross, he talked about the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. He talked about the blood of Christ. He talked about all those things. And the idol worshipers in particular would perk up. and Listen, pay attention. That's just different from what we're used to just keep going back, keep going back, and just do, do, do. I got to do this. I got to do that to be saved. And the truth of it is, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was done. Just like that. It was over. It was finished. And he gave the pure gospel, and people responded to it. Boy, I long for those days. Where people just respond to a pure gospel. Not just a hidden determination. Number three, there was a holy demonstration. A holy demonstration. Because Paul took himself out of it, and because he accented the gospel and the spirit filled life, the result of this method allowed the Spirit of God to do his powerful work in the lives of the people there. Look at verse four. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words. Wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. And here's why, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Scores came to Christ and a church was formed there. A church was not built on man's wisdom, but by the mighty power of God. Let me stop and make a statement here. He's already addressed in the previous chapter that men don't save us. Paulus did not, Cephas didn't, he didn't, only Jesus Christ. Their baptism didn't save them. Nothing like that. And I want to challenge you right now. I don't want anybody in this room saying, I'm going to heaven because I prayed a prayer with this preacher that I just think is just so wonderful and all that. No, 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 no. You're going to heaven because you prayed that prayer, I hope, putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to get you there. That is the power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. Can I just get you to see salvation? The theological term is regeneration. Regeneration means a regening process took place. Only God can do that. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new because the Spirit of God comes inside of you to live at the moment of your conversion. And he never leaves us, and he indwells us until the very end. That is the process that that gets us to heaven. You don't get there on your good works. You get there by faith and trusting the gospel message of Calvary. And so that's how he chose to do it, plain and simple, walked in there. He could have preached the lights out, but he didn't. I'm reminded of what what the old prophet Zechariah said back in chapter 4, verse 6. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you to help me as a pastor of this church. I I don't want anything to be built on the backs of anybody here. I want to be built on the back of God himself through the power of the spirit of God. We need to pray for that to happen. We see number four, a heartfelt direction. A heartfelt direction. Verse six through eight, we find the word albeit, which denotes a change of direction in the letter that's being written to this church. In fact, from this point on, he will address the problems of this church in a spiritual fashion, and he's about to lay down the ground rules. Now again, I remind you, he's going to touch on some things that's very sensitive. And I'm telling you, as we work through this, you're going to get your toes stepped on. I hope no one does. But I just know that's how it works. He's going to talk about some real sin in the church. Because he's trying to get it out of the church. And so uh, he lays the ground rules. And he said, what I'm doing is from God. And it is spiritual. Paul moves from the simple message of the gospel. To the vast subject now of the wisdom of God. Especially the wisdom contained in the scriptures. Now, he had veiled his knowledge and his orator ability and all those things, but that's over now. Those people got saved. When those people got saved while he was there, those 18 months, after they got saved, he turned the whole thing around and he spent those months, 18 months, teaching them the Word of God and the wisdom of God. Understand, I mean, as far as having the Word of God, they had Genesis, Exodus, the numbers and Deuteronomy. They had to pen it to, as far as the law was concerned. And the scriptures what were in the process of being breathed out to God through men like Paul and Peter and John and these others. And there may have been a few letters here and there that could have been read in the churches, but understand, inspiration was in the process of being penned by men. Is everybody with me right now? And so they had, whenever Paul <clears throat> started a church, he had to rely on what little bit he knew about the prophets and all those things. They had the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, but he had to take that and interpret that for a New Testament church, and so he was relying on the wisdom of God, and so when you see the wisdom of God, that phrase there is speaking more so of uh, the Word of God. Let's read those verses, albeit. We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, so he's given a, uh, his direction now. It's heartfelt. And in verse 6, he reaims at his target. The perfect ones, he says, or the mature ones uh, of the church there, the ones that, that could handle the meat of the Word of God, which if you remember in our first lesson in this, it was titled, May the Real Church Please Stand Up. And I, uh, in, in that particular message, Paul was addressing this church, the sanctified ones, the saints of God, not the general assembly of people that came, but the ones who were truly born again. He was addressing them. He addresses them now. He understands a lot of people in this church, in this, that came to this church, maybe weren't truly born again. They wouldn't care to hoots about what Paul had to say. They were enjoying their sin. But the people in the church that were born again and the Spirit of God, what was in him, they cared. And I like to think in this church, there are people that are truly born again that's got the Spirit of God in them, and they love God, and they want to do right. And that's the crowd that's going to get the church where it needs to be. So he comes in and he re-aims at these perfect ones there in verse number 6, the mature ones. He would not be used in the wisdom and logic of the world. In Corinth, there was none of that anyway. Every man did that was right in his own eyes. And there was no rule of law in Corinth. So from now on in this whole book, Paul will be referring... To this idea of spirituality or the wisdom of God, Paul was going to tell them what God thought about the evil report that was delivered to him by the house of Chloe about the church. And uh, he's going to be sharing with them now going forward in this book what God had to say about that, the wisdom of God. I want you to stop here. Let's take a little little, uh, breather here. And I want you to write down three things about the wisdom of God that we see in this text right here. We talk about the wisdom of God. Number one, we see in verse 8 that uh, it was a mystery to the unsaved. That doesn't mean it could not be understood by saved people, but it was hidden from the world. Verse 8, had they believed God's wisdom, they would not even, they would have never crucified the Son of God. So so this, this wisdom of God is a mystery to the world, to the unsaved. They don't get it. Had they got it, they wouldn't have crucified Christ. Number two, It is ordained by God, this wisdom of God. is ordained by God, prepared before the foundation of the world. The things that he will teach them, and he'll teach us even if we stick with this book, they were not thought up by Paul or any other man. So the things that Paul teaches, he got from God. Where did he get those from? Well, the third heaven, and of course the ministry of the Spirit of God, through inspiration as he penned the Scriptures, and so what you and I are going to read in this book and be taught this book was not man's wisdom. It was God's wisdom. And so when we get on those tough subjects and we are going to get on some tough subjects. I'm just serving your warning right now. Don't look up here at me and say, well, that's just what Pastor Norse thinks. Because I'm just reading the Bible. In fact, I'm going to try to be easy on you. Because tough, this was tough what Paul said. And then the third thing is this. It's for our benefit. Look at verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So all this uh, is to benefit us. What Paul will teach in this book is going to be good for us. It's going to be good for us. And if we'll obey it, he's given it to us for a reason. Now, he wants them to understand this. The things that will be taught will not square with the world when he gets on the subject of women in the church oh you're going to go there I'm not going to go there the Bible's going to go there and their place I'm going to tell you it doesn't square with the world when he talks about the resurrection when he talks about some of the sin that's in the church and what to do with the person that was caught sinning it doesn't square with the world is everybody with me right now but it's the wisdom of God it's just the way it was and so, uh, so number five, we jump number five, we see a heavenly disclosure in verses nine through 13, verse nine, let's look at this, this is a great verse, you probably have underlined. but as it is written, I have not seen or heard, neither have entered into the thought of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. So when we talk about a mystery, somebody says, well, just, there's just things in the Bible you can't understand, eh, wrong answer. There are things that God didn't write to us because we couldn't understand them. But with the help of the Spirit of God, they are not a mystery to the saved person if a saved person is walking in the Spirit and trying to learn the Word of God. It's just the way it works. Now, you've got to study to show yourself approved. I have to study, and sometimes I have to put on my spiritual thinking cap and say, what is God trying to say here? And so, uh, so we see that he speaks here, verse 9, of the glorious revelation of all that God has for us recorded in the Bible. It's a heavenly disclosure. Though we often use verse 9 to speak of heaven and the eternal life. And by the way, I use this verse all the time in funerals. It means much more than that. When we're talking about the wisdom of God and this heavenly disclosure, it also includes, includes the great doctrines of the Bible. Let me just give you one, okay? Um, this will help you right here. Look not on the cup when it moves itself aright, when it gives forth this color in the cup. For alas, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. That's in the wisdom of God. That's talking about ferment and beverage. Look not on the cup. How about this one? Train up a child the way you should go when he's old and not depart from it. That'll help you. Give and it shall be given unto you. Press down and shake together. right ever shall men give to your bosom. And and, and there's principles throughout the scriptures. I'm just giving you some things. But how about the commandments of God? Thou shalt not commit adultery. We say, how's that helpful? Well, how about maybe it keeps your marriage together? And how how about maybe it keeps the judgment of God off of you? And so it's not just talking about heaven, though that's much part of it, but includes the great doctrines of the Bible, the commandments that are meant to protect us and keep us pure, the morals and values and principles for living found all throughout the Bible, the blessings that God has for us, it is a repeating of what the prophet Isaiah wrote about in Isaiah 64, 4, in which in that chapter, he's prophesying about a heaven-sent revival. So when you read this verse, verse I have not seen, neither ear heard, <coughs> neither have entered into the heart the things, sorry, that were things, which God had prepared for them that love him. You got to ask yourself this question, do I love God? Say, "Amen." All right, God's got some things and a whole lot of things prepared for you, prepared for me. If you just go dig them, dig them up, you're going to find them. They're called the deep things of God. They say below the ocean's surface are precious treasures and even even health-giving treasures in some places if we just found a way to get to those things. And the truth of it is, the Word of God is the same way. You ought to work hard at digging those things out. And even revival is included in that. The things that God has prepared for us. Verses 10 and states that these things are revealed to save people um, through a process. In other words, God gives us these things in the scripture that we've never seen. We've never heard. No one would ever believe. But they're There if you go digging for them let me give you one of them salvation by grace that's as broad a subject as you're ever going to find because people look at that they said that's foolishness you're telling me that i can believe in a man who said he was the son of god who died for my sins on the cross was buried three days got out of the grave and you're telling me that i can pray a prayer and mean that in my prayer, and believe that by faith, and that'll take me to heaven, and i never die. I'm going to live you forever and ever and ever. Yeah, yeah. And much of the world is not saved because they trip over that simplicity. It's one of the deepest things you'll find in the Bible. You're telling me the blood can wash away my sin? The blood, blood stains. Oh, my. I want to give you a little process right here. Verses 10-11 it says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of God, say the Spirit of Man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Let me give these to you real quick. A little process here. First of all, write this down Revelation. Revelation. Not the book of Revelation necessarily, but Revelation is God makes truth known to man. Be it Moses, be it Abraham. Uh, be it Paul, David, God makes truth. He reveals truth to man. Second step, inspiration. God has to get that out of that man. So he uses the mode of inspiration. And inspiration, the, the short version, is that God breathes his truth to godly men or speaks his truth, breathes his truth. The word inspire means breathe. Inspiration, God breathes. God breathes his truth to godly men and they write it down for all of us. 2 Peter 1, verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures by any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Paul didn't sit down and write what he wanted to write. Moses didn't sit down and write what he wanted to write. Now, I was taught that sometimes their personalities come out in their writing. But they're not writing the things they want to write. They're writing as they're moved by the spirit of God. That's what the Bible says. So that what you and I have are not the writings of Paul and all these other people. And so we have this. Not one part of the Bible is a result of human reasoning. Let me say it again, not one part of the Bible is a result of human reasoning. So we have revelation, we have inspiration. That's what we have in our lap right now, our Bibles. Inspired Word of God. And then we have illumination. Okay, now i got this big old book. How in the world am I going to understand it? This third part of the process is illumination. And this last part of the process is where as we read the Word of God, a saved person, and only a saved person, has the Spirit of God in them. The Holy Ghost, superintended the writing of the Scriptures, inspiration of the Scriptures. So, so the Holy Spirit... It's his job to illuminate or shine a light on a truth. And then we're able to understand it. In other words, we're enlightened. So the spirit of God illuminates, because he lives inside of us, the perfect word of God. I'll just say this. If you're reading a perfect Bible, which for English speaking people, that would be the King James Bible. If you have a King James Bible for English speaking people, I can't speak for other people. And you're reading... With the fullness of the Spirit of God, he can help you understand it. Did you know that Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that's ever, ever known, never had a day of Bible college? Did you know that D.L. Moody, started, both of them started colleges, but neither one of them had ever been to college. In fact, Spurgeon um, was kicked out of the Preachers Association, but had the largest church in the world at the time. You see how that happened. Same way it happened with my grandpa Turner when he would sit and read his Bible by his lamp next to his chair and he'd read line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, how God puts it all together, just stacks it all up and he'd run that reference and see what the Bible says here. Same way all of us learn. Don't ever sit there and say, I, I can't, I will never be able to understand the Bible because with the spirit of God and a willingness to want to search it out, you can understand the parts of the Bible God wants you to understand. And so it's a big book. I'll give you that. And so we have a heavenly disclosure through revelation, inspiration, illumination. God freely gives us the information that we need to live a godly life. But this information is not given to an unsaved person. Never let an unsaved person convince you something about God that they have no knowledge of whatsoever. I don't care how hard they reason, they came at Paul on Mars Hill like like rabid dogs. But it all bounced off of him because he knew they weren't converted. They didn't have the Spirit of God in him. And understand that the grandma on the side of a mountain that has the Spirit of God and her old Bible knows more than a lot of these guys running colleges in America. Especially Harvard, who just recently put an atheist in as a chaplain. Okay, moving right along. I need to read the Bible, not watch the news. Number six, I'm almost done, number six. Our human discernment, now this is where we tie it all together, this is where we put our thinking caps on, our spiritual thinking caps, all right? Verses 14 through 16. But, we're changing gears. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, that's the unsaved world, neither can he know them, because, say this next phrase, they are spiritually discerned, say it again, They are spiritually discerned, but he that is spiritual judgeth, or in other words, discerneth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man, for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? That's a good question. Who in the world can understand what God is saying? How in the world can I let this Bible instruct me? He gives the answer, you have the mind of Christ. Because the third person of the Trinity lives inside of you. And this book was superintended by him. He can teach you all things. Human discernment is our part. It's the part of the process where the believer utilizes the scriptures and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Which allows us to examine and understand God's truth as revealed in the Bible. This is only accomplished by a Christian who chooses to walk in the Spirit. Repeat that. This is only accomplished by the Christian who chooses to walk in the spirit. Listen carefully. You say, well, what do I do? How can I accomplish that? You've got the mind of Christ. As a born-again Christian, you have the ability not just to understand what is right and what is wrong. You have the ability to have spiritual discernment in a lot of things. I personally think in all things, and I'll build that in just a moment he that is spiritual judgeth. verse 15 all things he discerns or has ability to discern all things as a christian yield the spirit of god you can think just like christ thinks in all things verse number 10 look at verse number 10 let me read that again god hath but god hath revealed them unto us by his spirit for the spirit searches all things yea, the deep things of god and so god uses his spirit who lives inside of us to reveal truth now listen carefully everything around us can be understood in a spiritual nature i'm gonna i'm gonna take this home right here where i'm done and if you don't walk in the spirit of god and stay in the word of god you're not gonna have a clue about what's going on in this world i'm shocked at the christians just falling in line like a bunch of zombies Just doing everything that, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, oh, yeah, no, that's, yeah, oh, that's what CNN said. Yeah, we got, oh, yeah. Furthermore, you're not going to have any idea of what's going on in the work of God, the church, because this is spiritual business. This is where I take issue as a pastor. Spiritual business can only be done by spiritual people because God will not work with a dirty vessel. He can't. He cannot work with sin. That's why he puts standards on people. I know you don't like that. I know, oh, we're free in Jesus. Kumbaya. Everybody everybody, get in and just, we're not going to delineate anything, lines or anywhere. Just everybody do whatever they want to do. Yeah, right. There's a lot of churches that do that. That's not what God intended. He said, I want everything to be done decently and in order. And so as we work in this, how many of you really understand that all that goes on here in this ministry is spiritual? All of it. The preaching, the singing, the baptizing, the bus ministry, the giving, our prayers, our soul winning, the fellowship, all of it. And that's why the devil fights us so hard. I was talking to a Christian counselor. I I don't know how, how your life has been lately, but I mean it has been literally off the hook for me and my wife for weeks now, probably months. I was talking to a Christian counselor that I know very well personally just last week. I walked up to him, and the first thing I said, I shook his hand. I said, how are you doing? He said, I'll tell you what, it's crazy, preacher. It's crazy. He said, the devil is on a war path. I've never been so busy helping Christians with the messes they get themselves in, their struggles. Helping Christians with the messes they get themselves in. Now, I could take that a long way tonight. But I've already taught you that we're living in the days, the spirit of Antichrist, 1 John says, now is. And the devil knows he has a short time. And I'm going to tell you what, if you're not in the hot seat right now as a Christian, you soon will be. And that's why I'm preaching this, this book. The devil fights a Christian marriage because it's spiritual. He fights your health because your body belongs to God. That's spiritual. He will fight a Christian businessman that's trying to tithe and give to God because that's spiritual. He'll fight every man over his manhood because that's spiritual. He'll fight every woman over womanhood because that's spiritual. When you think about it, everything is spiritual because that God's the creator of all things. And God says here that you have the mind of Christ. And you have the ability to judge and discern all things. Satan fights America because... She declared years ago that by our godly founders would be one nation under God. This nation was founded as a spiritual nation. Buckle your seatbelts. The Afghanistan situation is a spiritual situation. You don't believe that? Read the headlines in all the Islamic newspapers yesterday and today. Islam defeats Christianity. You see, the Taliban thinks they've been fighting a spiritual war for 20 years. Let me take that back. They've been fighting a spiritual war, Mr. Kramer, historically for how many years? Long time, 800 years, over 800 years. They never got over the Crusaders. They're still fighting that war. And those who lead us, sometimes they just can't figure it out. The COVID virus is a spiritual battle. You say, I don't believe that. where'd it come from? A tenured Navy surgeon said last week, advocating for its treatment with known medicine, said this, and I quote, If you think you are fighting a virus, then you will act like a victim. If you think you're fighting a war, then you will fight like a warrior. How you look at this virus depends on your worldview. As a lady doctor, I I couldn't believe she said it. What is your worldview? Do you understand our worldview as a born-again Christian believes that Jesus Christ is coming back at any moment? And we're supposed to be ready. I was in a doctor's office today. They know I'm a pastor when I walk in there. Hello, Pastor Norris. Good morning, Pastor Norris. One, they probably could say, why don't you heal yourself be like those guys on TV, you know? <laughs> but uh, we were talking there and they started asking questions about the Lord Jesus Christ coming back. And I said, our worldview says we're supposed to be ready to meet Him. Oh, that's right, Pastor. That's right. We're ready. We're ready. I'm just saying there's more things out there that are spiritual than you think. How you raise your kids is spiritual. The civil unrest that we're witnessing in America is spiritual. It is declared in the scriptures. The weather catastrophes, the wildfires out west, and some of the stuff you never hear about all have a spiritual nature to them. And you don't believe that, go read the book of Job. Is everybody with me right now? And God wants to show you what to think about these things. But if you keep your nose shoved in that TV set, listen, all the news spews out, you are going to miss it. Because you won't discern right. All of our thoughts are spiritual. Every word that leaves our mouth is spiritual. Jesus said to the devil in Matthew 4.4 4, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Our money is spiritual nature. Everything should be viewed through the lens of the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians you say everything? 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You should be asking yourself every dime you borrow, every dime you spend, every decision you make what you say, even the words out your mouth you should be seasoning those words with salt you say how in the world can you live like that you've got the mind of christ the spirit of god is in you the word of god is in your hand ladies and gentlemen right now you can have the mind of christ you can have that spiritual discernment that you need to get you through these trying times but you're going to have to walk away from worldly thinking and immoral living Be filled with the Spirit of God. And Paul was telling this Corinthian church, get out of the world. He's going to literally say that. Come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. What concord hath light with darkness? What what concord has Christ with Belial, a wicked idol? Come out from among them, saith the Lord. He said, then, he said, I'll bless you. Paul knew that this church at Corinth was, was gone. We'll close this door soon if the people there would not surrender to God and think spiritually. Tonight, I want to challenge you to take off the world's thinking cap. You can't keep watching the smut on the television, listen to the world's music, taking in all the world's trends and ideas and be able to have the discernment you need. Take off the world's thinking cap of carnal living and put on your spiritual thinking cap and begin to think with the mind of Christ let's stand together please our heads are bowed our eyes are closed and I went a little over tonight but I just need to make a point with all that in mind let me ask you how many say tonight preacher I'm saved and I know I'm saved would you lift your hand put it real high I'm saved I know I'm saved good many hands raised thank you for that now let me ask this question Maybe you're, maybe you're right where you need to be. But how many of you are willing to tonight to say, I want to separate from the world, and I want to have the fullness of the Spirit of God. How many say this preacher tonight? I need that discernment. I'm going to pray for the mind of Christ. Would you lift your hands and say, that's me. That's what I need. Folks, we've got to have it. Our Father, tonight many hands were raised. I rejoice with that as a pastor. I want want these people to be able to get those things that you have for us. We might rejoice.